Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. The Appetite is all about themes of food, body, sport, and mental health. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. Today on the podcast, I have the luck of talking to filmmaker Elizabeth Ayuku. Elizabeth joins me today to talk a little bit about her own recovery story, the inspiration for Me Little Me, and to talk about the difficulties she encountered in the eating disorder treatment world as a Black woman. On this episode, you'll certainly get to hear a lot about Elizabeth's story and about the film. But if you feel so compelled, you might even want to pause right now and take a moment to check out anything about the film online. There are some little clips and a short film called Little Elizabeth that is considered the prequel to Me Little Me. So check out MeLittleMeFilm.com to learn more information about that and um, to get some more visuals on what we're talking about today. I'm Elizabeth, and I'm a filmmaker who is in recovery, and I'm currently making a film about recovery called Me Little Me. So, Elizabeth, what is Me Little Me all about? It's about one woman who's currently in recovery from an eating disorder, so it's definitely inspired by my recovery journey, and I just, I really felt compelled to make it because there isn't much out there in terms of content on like TV and movies about the recovery journey and about the recovery process. So I wanted this film to just really be about recovery and what goes into it. I love that. So in your particular story, I'd love to hear kind of about where you started off in your journey and how that led you into recovery process. Ooh, I never know how far back to go whenever people are like, <laughs> tell me your story. Like it's um, Wherever yeah. you want to oh. start. Okay, because I'll just talk and talk. And Great. Talk forever. Um, That's okay with me. <laughs> um, my recovery journey started, I feel like, later in life. I didn't go to treatment until I was around 27 or so for a number of reasons because I think I didn't think I really had a problem for a long time. I've had some sort of eating disorder, I feel like, ever since I was around eight. Okay. When I was younger, when I was a little kid, I was in a larger body. I was the quote-unquote emotional ear. Uh, I was raised by a single mother, a Caribbean mother. And it was just, there was a lot of things that I think only people who, I don't want to say only people who were raised by Caribbean parents could understand because now that I'm doing, like, talking about my story so much, I'm like, oh, wow, it's a lot of cultures go through the same thing. It's there's certain things that you just don't talk about, and that's just the way it is. You know, we don't talk about mental health. We didn't talk about... There was no such thing as an eating disorder, so even though I was clearly having problems, it was just kind of ignored. Yeah, I think that's just kind of how I grew up until I started binging and purging in my adult life and realized that it was that it was really harming me is when I decided to seek treatment and just kind of had to really do a lot of groundwork and figure out how. You know, I I think I struck out a lot just going looking for individual counselors, and I wasn't in a position financially where I could just check myself into a residential treatment center. And I think that was the biggest, that was one of the biggest hurdles for me because even on TV and 
um, in movies, like you see them check into a place, right. and that's what they do to get well. And I was like, okay, I can't do that. I don't have that kind of money. I don't have that kind of time. I was working for a living, so what do I do? What does someone like me, who's working and who still wants to get well, is doing? And so I went to therapists. I just I looked online for therapists that said they were eating disorder specialists. But they really weren't now looking back. And even at the time, I kind of knew because I wasn't getting any better. I was getting sicker. And so I finally started looking at IOP, so intensive outpatient treatment. And even that was kind of a struggle because I was working full time. And right. none of the places would, you know, really work with my schedule. And they were just like, no, this is the program. You have to make it work. And it was really frustrating. And so I just didn't go. The first you know, kind of go around of looking into treatment, I was okay, well, this isn't for me. So I kept trying to fix myself. That was just kind of an ongoing theme. In my adult life, I was like, I can fix myself. I'll just have to do, you know, go to this free support group and this. And this this was back in 2008 or 9, so there just weren't as many resources. And I feel it's, I look at what there is now, and I'm like, oh, my God, these kids are so lucky. Mm -hmm. Like, they have no idea. Online, like, social media and all the free and like online resources, but there was nothing. There was it didn't seem like there was no apps. There was no anything back then. So I really IOP was the only option, and eventually I realized there was no other. At the time, there was just, there was no other option than to just sneak out of work early because it was it wasn't anything that I could tell my bosses. I worked in this like you know really corporate middle management job with pretty much all men, and it just, you know, I was already one of the only black managers. I didn't want to give the impression of saying anything else that would make me seem weaker, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So I was just like, okay, I've got to find a way to make both of these work, and it just became the secret thing that I did. I just kind of was sneaking off from work early to go to treatment. So that's kind of what me, little me, is based on that experience I had. Um, during that time of my life. Of having to kind of sneak around to actually get the things that you needed. Yeah, and just it shows that it's not just this thing where everyone can just put their life on hold and go get better, and then they're magically better once they check into a place. It's, just, it's not that way. And I think every piece of media that I saw on treatment was like that, and it showed that it was this magical thing. And so I was like, okay... I know for a fact that that's not everybody's experience. They can't just stop going to school. They can't just stop going to work. So I just wanted to make something that reflected my story and other people's stories who I knew and also highlight, you know, people of color in recovery because when I was in the treatment center I went to, there really weren't a lot of people of color. It was me and just like a bunch of, you know, kind of really younger white girls. But kind of throughout the rest of my recovery, like once I started the follow-up care and, you know, support groups and whatnot, I met so many other people. And in the recent years, uh, just so many other people who've gone through almost exactly what I've gone through. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like it was very validating that it wasn't just me, especially back in the day that I was struggling the same way. So it- what was it like for you to like not feel like you could really talk about those that those things within your community or within your family, especially if you know if some of what you were experiencing in your eating disorder or in your mental health issues were maybe even kind of a reflection of some of that? How did it feel like then to go to treatment to be squeezing that into your hours and then mm-hmm. 
were you actually able to find an experience of feeling like very known once you got there? I feel like treatment centers have gotten better. I okay. think I do want to say I think they've gotten better since then. This was like ten, wow, like almost eleven. No, yeah, around ten years ago. So it's funny because when I first went to treatment, I didn't feel understood by the clinicians. Like there was a lot of, I'd get a lot of pushback. Or I guess I was pushing back, and they'd, I'd get, they'd challenge me and be like, well, I'm going to challenge you to that thought, because I'd be like, you know, well, I'm the only one here working. Like, it's different for me. I'm the only black woman here. It's different for me. And immediately it would be like, well, well, I'm going to challenge you on that, you know, because even though, like, they're not working, whatever, or even though they're, you know, whatever, it's like you all ended up in the same place. So, you know, what does that say? And we need to focus on that. And it was, there was a lot of, I, I it's like, I don't want to say, I don't think they were intentionally being dismissive. I just don't think they understood that it was different for me to, like, have to put myself in a place where I was already feeling ostracized because I was the only black woman. Because they were like, well, what? Eating the soul affects everybody. You know, we had a black woman in last month. And, you know, it's just something you gotta you gotta work that out, and it was so frustrating. Yeah, it but, sounds like maybe not intentionally dismissive, but certainly not accounting for the actual different circumstances. Exactly, it, it's, they were really focused on bringing me back to, well, look how similar you are. Like, don't focus on how different you are. And I just kind of gave up, and I was like, all right, you know, fine. But I eventually, in groups and with other. Uh, the people who are in treatment, I started feeling understood by them, which was so, it, which took me by surprise, because like I said, we were so different, and we were, a lot of them were really young, from like Orange County, came from really affluent backgrounds, and, but the more we talked and processed and whatever, I realized a lot of them had gone through some really kind of traumatizing things, like sexual violence, and just had just gone through some, some hard things, even though they grew up in more lavish surroundings. I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, okay, you know, they I they do have what I have in a sense. And when I would tell them, you know, and I'm rushing here from work, and they'd be like, oh, my gosh, like, that sounds awful. You're doing all this and working, and they understood me. I right. felt more than, you know, the clinician. So it was a weird experience where I finally felt understood and accepted by the people who I least expected to be. So it was a good and it was a bad experience the first time I went into treatment. Wow. So do, are there specific scenes within Me, Little Me that depict something like that? It's it's funny because <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, no, okay. So there's so much I wanted to say in this film and not everything got in. Okay. Because Me, Little Me, it's what my hopes for treatment is going to be because mm. it pretty much depicts my experience later on in treatment. Like, when I was at, in IOP, my insurance ran out pretty quickly after, like, two and a half months or three months. So I was just kind of left to my own devices after that, just seeking any kind of support. And I went to the support led by this amazing, wonderful, beautiful woman named Gwen, and it was everything I needed. It was, like, it, she was nurturing, and she just, like, it was the opposite of what I experienced, I feel like in IOP, which an IOP was necessary. I needed it to stop the binge purge cycle. I feel like everybody who has an eating disorder should have access to IOP. That's a whole other conversation. It was so necessary. Mm-hmm. I was telling a friend of mine about it, and she's like, oh, that kind of sounds like detox. Like if you yeah. 
And I was like, oh my God. Yes, that's like exactly. it actually helps with the behavioral part of yeah, it first. That's what it intervenes. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. And, but once I was just like, oh, okay. So what I like, but I wasn't able to absorb any kind of the rest of the, you know, now we're going to work on yourself. Because we did do, you know, DBT, DBT, all that stuff. But I was busy trying to work and live. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I did these worksheets, but, you know, I'm just going to try to stick to my meal plan. I got to focus on doing one thing well. And I think that was it, just kind of stopping the binge for a cycle. And it did that. So, yeah, after I found this group led by this, this wonderful, this nurturing mm. woman who was just, and like just kind of fed my soul. Like it was just, wow. I needed that warmth. Yeah. And it's funny. She's, she wrote a book and it's amazing. And Ungrab is her name. She wrote a book called The Eight Keys to Recovery um, with Carolyn Costin. And oh, yeah. just, yeah, everything she says in the book is what she talks about in group and in this just loving way that I think is what I put in the movie. So instead of putting, the bad, you know, like <laughs> feelings and experiences I had in IOP. I wanted to put all the love that I got and all the wonderful people that I met along the way because that, I think, and hope IOP should be like, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I want it to be, especially now that there are more people of color and there are more men and just like other you know people in those groups, I want it to reflect what it is nowadays. So yes, back in the day, it wasn't very, I didn't have a diverse experience, but later on I did. So, yeah, in the in the movie, of course, it's not just all rose-colored and everything. You know, I did put in some of the good and the bad, but I mixed those two experiences together. That's the best way to say it. I mixed all, you know, my recovery journey into the treatment scenes. I mean, what the most striking thing to me is that your experience in a group later on was actually where you found a lot of that like warmth and nurturing, yeah. where uh-huh. you were able to get some of the behavioral stuff kind of tackled a little bit more, or at least yeah. stopped slightly within the treatment setting. And it, but it sounds like the way that you've created the movie is it sounds like a, an encouragement. And yeah. is that intentional to be able to tell a story that would encourage other people? that maybe wouldn't find treatment very accessible to be encouraged to seek it out? Absolutely. I wanted this to be real. So I showed the good, the bad, the everything that I, you know, experienced, the ups and downs. But I wanted it to end on a hopeful note. So, yes, everything in treatment isn't, you know, I know there's so much I want to say, but I just want to give away the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> because there's just so many things that happen in treatment where that it's like, I mean, I... I feel okay. I feel like I can give away one. Yeah, give us a little, little clip. <laughs> little part, but it's like yeah, it's like you'll you'll meet like some of the the best people you'll ever meet, and then the next day they're gone. You know mm-hmm. that that's just something that happened in treatment that affected me a lot. I was like, oh my gosh, I was bonding with this person, and oh wait, they had to move to a different level of care. And there are things like that that I sneak into the movie, and also I wanted it to be realistic of what it's like being in treatment and working, and I wanted to show. Yes, it's hard as hell. Like, it's so, it's it's hard, but mm-hmm. it is possible, you know? So for all the people who are like, I can't go to treatment, I have to work, I can't go to treatment, I am going to be the only older person, I'm going to be the only this, I'm going to be the only that. And especially nowadays, I don't think you will be the only that. There's so many support systems and even, uh, like, online communities that you can do it. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But if I can do it, like, 
back then, like literally can do it now. So I just, I definitely wanted it to end on a hopeful note, just be real. You know, I, I didn't want it to just be like, hey, it's this, I don't know, this, the treatment's this place where you go in a house and just screw around and <laughs> eat if you want to eat and you know, uh, yeah, Netflix, that sounds like a know? particular Netflix movie. I'm thinking, right. of. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was feels, but I was like, yeah, that isn't it at all. So I made sure to put in what treatment was to me. And it's funny, it's like you mentioned the Netflix movie, that was someone's experience, you right. know what I'm saying? It's like, so as, as much as I want to be like, oh my god, this is wrong. That was what treatment was like in the 80s, evidently, or, you know, wow. or, I don't know, maybe, um, maybe that wasn't, but... At some point some for of, someone. Yeah, that was someone. That was someone's experience. So maybe someone will watch this and be like, oh, that's not what treatment was like for me. It was like the other thing. But I just wanted to put out there, you know, what my reality is yeah. and what other people I knew, so... And that seems to be so important because, you know, what you said to me before we did this interview was that there aren't that many stories. There just aren't that many. And there's a particular way that it's shown in the Hollywood world. And that that just isn't a going to be a story that can actually bring everybody in. And it also isn't, it's going to actively exclude large groups of people, particularly men, particularly people of color. And that's just not the reality. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely not. And yeah, it's like this movie, it's, this started off as like kind of a screw you to Hollywood because yeah, I, I did see, you know, the particular movie that was clearly made by Hollywood that just tried to drop a Hollywood story into an eating disorder recovery story. And I was like, nope, that's not how that works. So I was like, not another day, not another minute, not while I'm around and can do something about it because I'm a filmmaker, but I work as an editor. So in Hollywood and I, see what they're doing. You know, I know. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's like I know that they know what they're doing. You know, they are trying to glamorize pretty much everything. Yeah. You know, everything they deny, they're not suicide, like, you disorder. Like, they are. Because people, it, it, there is something about seeing a thin, beautiful white woman who's struggling, and, you know, it's, and they know that that's going to get them more views than if they put what the reality really was. It's, a movie like this would never be made about binge eating disorder or about bulimia. And that's why I was like, okay, so I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it not about the behavior, not about the body, like what happens to the body because of the behaviors. It's not going to be about how thin or how big she is. It's, I just, I purposely didn't want it to be about like, oh my gosh, like look what's happening because, of your eating disorder to your body, I wanted it to be about the emotions behind the behaviors. I wanted it to be about her working through trauma. I wanted it to be about all the things that are really behind a disorder. And I just wanted it to be clear that everything that happens to your body is basically just a side effect of the disorder and not, and shouldn't be focused on. I love that. And yeah, Hollywood just wants to focus on like, oh, look, look how thin. And because, yeah, there is something glamorous about being stick thin. And I grew up in the 90s when the heroin sheet came and it came and went, but I remember it very clearly yeah. that people were intrigued by, oh my goodness, heroin chic and look how she's, she's so wafy but still so glamorous. Right. You know? and, and another version of being sick, same as exactly. the anorexic. Like you're either, you know, wasted because of your 
lack of nourishment or wasted from heroin, and then it's glamorized. Exactly. Oh, it's exactly. So, and it's funny how it's more acceptable to say you're a heroin addict than you haven't eaten before. Right. <laughs> like it's because of Hollywood. And yeah. All that so this definitely started out as a huge FU to Hollywood because I knew that the story I wanted to tell would never be made in the Hollywood studio system. And I stand behind that. It would never be made. It would never be, the lead character would never be a dark-skinned black woman with natural hair who's talking about her trauma, who's not uh, talking about the normal food and diet culture. Mm. I just, it it just, I knew it wouldn't get made. So I just decided, okay, I'm just going to make this with whatever money I can raise on my own and asking for donations and that's just kind of how this came about and I was just determined because it was almost like I didn't have a choice anymore. I was like, okay. Time to do it. I love that. So as you, as you have done some of the fundraising and you have been out there probably connecting to a wide variety of people, I'm assuming (laughs) as you've been making the film, have you learned anything more about either sort of the eating disorder world or the treatment world as you've been doing this? So, yeah, I've reached out to so many places, and I think that was just my plan. I was just like, okay, I'm going to reach out to like every recovery professional I can find on, I think, just like eating referral or psychology today. I just went through the list, and then I just started contacting the big treatment centers who I was like, okay, like they've got treatment better money, like maybe they can help me. And it was kind of eye-opening to people who were really like, I want to help, I want to get on board with this, were the individuals and the just people who didn't have huge, huge platforms necessarily or a lot of money, but they were like, I'll scrape together whatever money I have and get a juicy to make this. Wow. And it was inspiring, but then disappointing because the bigger organizations were kind of like, eh, we don't have the money to give you, but good luck with this. And What do you think that says about the treatment world? I, oh my gosh, I don't, I mean, it's unfortunate, but it is, it's a business. I mean, it reminded me so much of Hollywood when I was reaching out to these big treatment centers who on their social medias and on their websites, they'd have photos of us, of uh, like diverse, do they want to, you know, like, mm. you know, black women and men and just all kinds of, like, we want to, they're like eating disorders, you know, they don't discriminate. And at the risk of sounding like, you know, too much of an angry black woman, like, I was just kind of really <laughs> frustrated by yeah. the tokenism and the just hypocrisy because I was like, hey, I see that you're saying this and I see that you say we need this change and that our industry. I'm making a thing. I'm a filmmaker. I have a fundraising campaign. I'm looking for sponsors. Can you help me? I either got no response, like ghosted completely, or we don't have the money to. And I have been in treatment and just kind of, I feel like, know enough about how much money they have to know. I'm like, okay, that's not true. So, you know, like, I wonder why. And it was just, it was, it was really disappointing. That's so so disheartening. And it, it was very. It, yeah. it, 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 it's sick. And, <laughs> it's sickening yeah. to think about, like, sort of people of color being, their bodies being used, really, oh, yeah. on, you know, some sort of, you know, advertising format or yeah. website that makes it look like this is a great yeah. benefit to these people of color. But actually, no. if you're there, it, like your experience you're describing, that 
once you were actually in treatment, some of the considerations that you would have hoped to have had weren't even taken into account at the same time. Exactly. I feel like treatment centers have gotten better over the years in terms of recognizing that eating disorders do affect everybody, but there's just medication to be had about weight. They do affect us differently, and weight, you can't just use us, like tokenize us and like plaster pictures of us and then not listen to us when we say, oh, wait, like this is actually what we need in terms of treatment. Because I've had a lot of conversations while I've been fundraising, and so, yeah, a lot has come up. So not even just the fundraising piece, but just when China, when people are like, so what will it take to, you know, reach more people of color? And I tell them, and it's like, oh, okay, well, we want more people of color, but we don't want to change our What do you tell them? Like, change your treatment. Change your (laughs) treatment model, you know? Like, for God's sake, like, have people work for a living. What about weekend treatment? Like, why is treatment Monday through Friday? Why can't it be evenings and weekends? And and they're like, oh, okay, well, because we don't have that. (laughs) Right, we don't want to take the... We don't want to work on the weekend. Yeah, who wants to work on the evenings and weekend, you know? And also just, are you going out into the, do you have someone who's representing your company who is, um, who's making, or do you have someone who works for your company um, who's making sure that cultural needs are being met? And a lot of times it's like cultural needs. I'm like, yeah, like, this, like even from like the food we eat, like it's just, there's this, there's this, this huge disconnect. Yeah. And it was kind of shocking. I was like, oh, okay. Like, Wow just with some of the conversations I've had, and I'm glad I'm having them because I feel like they need to be had, but it's a little shocking on my end that uh, someone can be so much like, yes, we want to help all, you know, races, genders, whatever, but we want them to fit into our treatment model. It's like, oh, we have to do something different? Oh, yeah. okay. I don't know about that. Can't necessarily <laughs> change the schedule and right. still going to serve kind of like traditionally white foods and... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and we just, and this is what we do. And, you know, you can't work around it. And sorry. So I think, honestly, the film will be not just educational to people who know nothing about eating disorders or about treatment, but I think in the recovery community as well, I realize there's a lot of people just by watching the film and watching what it's like someone who's working and who's also doesn't have the means to you know, do all the things that are requested, like, oh, what about, and or and some people just don't have a family support system, you know, and can't do family sessions and whatnot. So I just, I think it's going to be really helpful for a lot of clinicians who are in the recovery community. I love that. So, well, I, I feel so excited for the making of this film. I'm already really wanting to see it. If people wanted to learn more about Me Little Me and to donate, how would they how would they find you? I've been making film a crazy way, basically just like as the donations are coming in, we've been making a film. So again, with in with the whole mindset of nothing's gonna stop me from making this. I'm yes. Just, I've been so headstrong and I'm just like, nope, okay, we got a little money, let's shoot a little bit. So We've been able to shoot pretty much almost all of the scenes we have at this point. We just need just a few more pickup shots, just of like scenery and whatnot. But yeah, basically, um, we're about to go into post production, so editing. Okay. So what I'm going to be doing throughout post production is a couple things. So anyone who's seen my fundraising video knows that three people in it who are just so near and dear to my heart are speaking in it. 
three people of color. So there's Amy, Jamie, and Fred, who I've met on the recovery journey. And one of the people in it said, some of the things he said during the fundraising video, like during his interview, because I just kind of got all all of us together just to talk about our recovery journeys. Basically, they were just kind of my support system. It was just kind of a a safety and numbers thing. So it wasn't just me on camera talking about, hey, this is why I want to make the film, (laughs) me, me, me. So they were like, yes, heck yeah, we want. And it was was funny because the guys, I was worried, wouldn't want to do it. They were the first ones who were like, heck yeah, we have no platform to talk about our eating disorder, but we would love to do this. And so it was pretty amazing. The stuff that, uh, I mean, Jamie and said, but... The stuff that Seth said, like, just about the social issues, and it was almost like a stream of thought. He just, like, everything he said was just more profound than the next. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't even think he realizes he's saying all these just, like, really deep things. And I was like, said, like, I have to just put everything, all this extra stuff he said in a project of its own. And he was completely down with that. So I'm making a side documentary for fundraising purposes, it's called Loose and Fed. It's all about Fed's story. You'll never meet anyone with an eating disorder that's not smart or like, it's not like a very sharp person. Oh, like a he's a Dominican kid from the Bronx. Basically. And it's just, the stuff he's saying, it's an educational tool. So like everything I was talking about, about how um, clinicians in the industry, like, you know, could use a little more education when it came to, you know, treating people of color. Everything he says in this, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is this is all the thing. And he just says it in a way that's just so raw and so real. I was like a black belt in secrets, basically. And, like, it gave me power. It gave me, like, a delusioned power, like this constant high, this opioid of, like, of media satisfaction. And so all what I'm doing is all my... $100 donors are going to get this documentary for free, basically, like as a reward. Cool. So anyone who donates $100 to the film is going to get a copy of all these extras. And I just feel like it's something that, yeah, again, like anybody can relate to who's been in treatment or who is a male person of color or just a person of color. He just, he's, the stuff he talks about is stuff that I didn't even think about when it came to what it would be like being a male person of color in recovery. And it was eye-opening. So even me, I was like, oh, my God, that's right. Like, he had to unlearn all this this kind of really toxic stuff he grew up with while he was recovering and even while he was struggling and feeling like he was going to die every day. He still had to keep up, you Mm -hmm. know, this persona. And even going into treatment, it's very, you know, woman-based and, you know, there's a lot of she can and she did and, you know, and just women, he just, oh, it was just the way he kind of just broke it down. Men are so busy being asked to fight wars and there's so many problems going on in urban neighborhoods, so many, like, quote-unquote, real problems going on in urban neighborhoods that there's no money or time for, you know, therapy and things like that. And it was just, it was all the things. It was just so, everything he says and in this doc extra. Like, I was just watching the footage last night, and I was like, oh, this is, it was, this is, it was amazing stuff. So I'm putting that all 
that's all in a mini talk. It's about 30 minutes. It okay. might be longer by the time the podcast comes out because I keep wanting to add stuff to it. <laughs> I, <love laughs> that. I keep, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to cut it. Now. Well, it sounds we amazing. Talked, yeah, we talked for like an, like an hour just about life. And I was like, oh my God. So that will be something for people to really, really look forward to. Yeah, I, and I'm looking forward to this too, even though it's like I'm making the you know, feature like narrative film like this. I'm actually really excited about So. Yeah, a digital download of my short documentary about Fed called Lewis and Fed is available to the $100 donors, $100 and up donors. That was one of the original awards we were giving out when we first started fundraising. And so, yeah, I'm just extending that um, on our official website. So, mevelmefilm.com. You can donate there. And, yeah, you can uh, get a copy of Lewis and Fed. And you can also... Um, buy stickers. So I made stickers for the film that say, I support women of color, I support telling diverse stories, and those are available to purchase on our website, and all the proceeds go towards post-production. So I'm kind of excited about yeah, all the different things that are are happening around the film. So... Yes. um, (laughs) Gosh, we are too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and talking about it. It's something that I feel so excited to see. I feel so excited about Lewis and Fed. I got to get my money. (laughs) (laughs) And for anyone else that hasn't seen it, Little Elizabeth is also a wonderful resource for people to kind of get a bit of a teaser of your work as well. Thank you. Yes, I forgot the short film. Yeah. Yeah. So before a year and a half ago or so, before I decided to make a feature, I shot a short film called Little Elizabeth, and yeah, that was just kind of, I think that was originally going to be seen in the future, and I just felt compelled to just shoot this part, and I just kind of made it its own standalone short film, and once I made that, I was like, yeah, I need to make a feature, so um, yeah, that's available. You can go to com and you can watch it, I believe it's in the About section, but yeah, okay. that's out as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Elizabeth. It's been it's been really fun getting to talk to you. Thank you, Carter. And I want to say thank you to Opal as well. You guys have been big supporters of Needle Me. And as much as I was saying how like the like you know the big great big huge treatment centers were kind of just like ignoring and ghosting yeah. my emails. Like you guys were one of the ones who were like, oh, we'll help you. So oh, that good. was thank you so much. Uh, to you and everyone. I hope for getting on board and for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. To learn more about Elizabeth's work, once again, make sure you go to melittlemefilm.com. Um, you will find info there about Me Little Me, of course, as well as Little Elizabeth and some information about Lewis and Fed, too. So take a look there. Follow Elizabeth Ayuku on Instagram at Me Little Me Film as well and be updated about the project. I was just taking a look at the Instagram and it's so fun to get to actually see some stills from the film. Can't wait to see it. If you want to learn more about Opal, find out about our programming and other things that we've got going on at opalfoodandbody.com. You can follow along us more socially on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Opal Food and Body. And thank you so much to Jackstraw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Talk to you soon. <laughs>